Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. My guest today is Leila Zerugi, who's well-known inside UN circles. She's the UN Special Representative for Children and Armed Conflict, and we have a conversation right at the top about her efforts to secure the freeing of thousands of child soldiers in South Sudan. Ms. Zerugi has had a fascinating life and career, which we discussed. She was born in Algeria in the midst of the War of Independence and served as a judge in Algeria's civil war in the 1990s. And we discuss all of that before returning to a conversation about her current mandate to help protect children in armed conflict as both child soldiers and as victims of armed conflict. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I post one of these long interviews with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries every Monday, every Thursday. I have shorter conversations with journalists or think tank people about something topical and in the news that week. You can subscribe for free on iTunes. We have a new standalone app. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and you can find ways to subscribe and peruse our robust archives. So here it is, my conversation with Leila Zerugi. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I visited South Sudan, uh, as you know, last year, uh, and I met with David Yawyaw, who is uh, uh, the leader of a group uh, operating in South Sudan. Uh, I met him in Gumruk, the place where he's, uh, he's present. And of course, he has children in his rank, and this was, we were documenting for a long time. So he was in a process to join the government and to integrate within the army. So I went to meet with him to ask him to release the children. He already at the time when I met with him, he uh, showed a a commitment that he will release the children. Uh, So this process was, of course, followed up by uh, our team on the ground, UNICEF, and the mission, uh, UNMIS, the United Nations mission in South Sudan. And fortunately, we have now uh, the first uh, uh, group of children released in uh, uh, this this week. And of course, uh, we expect that the 249 child that were released are just the beginning. Uh, we would like to see uh, more. We knew that in the uh, in the Democratic Army Cobra faction uh, led by uh, David Yawyaw, we have children there. We know we are talking about at least, uh, I don't know, we are talking 
information about 3,000. I hope that uh, uh, they are less, uh, but uh, we will uh, make sure that all the children uh, will be released. That's our, our hope and our commitment also to work with the David Yoga. So it's interesting that like the political context of the release of these child uh, uh, soldiers that you helped to facilitate and secure was that this rebel group wanted to join the government, right? And so it seems to be sort of a sort of a positive sign that the you know to be respectable, right? You wouldn't have child soldiers, and no respectable government has child soldiers. Uh, seems you know, to be like the the pressure point. That's what. That's why we launched the campaign, children not soldiers. We uh, uh, first of all would like to. Uh, uh, let the world know that this is not acceptable. I think we have already a consensus that is now reached among at least government that uh, it is not acceptable to have children in uh, co uh, conflict within army fighting or in support role. So this is for us positive and that's why we would like also that the non-state actors that, are, that would like to seek uh, legitimate uh, political uh, goal uh, uh, and would like to be part uh, of a government or to be an opposition uh, uh, that will negotiate a peace process uh, that they also understand that this is not acceptable and if they would like the international community to engage with them to support their claim if their claim is legitimate and to also mediate because at the end between two factions that are fighting you need a mediation and generally the mediation is not always national it's international so uh, this help uh, uh, and I think it is more and more uh, recognized that it's not very helpful uh, to to recruit children, even if we knew that children continue to be recruited, but when uh, we have space to convince parties that it's not in their interest, that if they would like the support of international community, they have to start by releasing children. We also consider that this is the first start to show good faith and to to work for a more uh, strong uh, peace building uh, peace uh, process and uh, peace agreement so just, that's what we tried to use with David Yaw he was in a process to integrate the the, the government you know that he was appointed as administrator administrator of um, Pibor. So this was for us uh, why, how we pushed hard to get the children out of his troops. And I hope that we are in the right uh, direction. And we hope to see also the other opposition group and the SPLA that have children also in their ranks, even if they commit and recommit, we see the children out also. Um, so, you know, I have to ask, so you're a human rights lawyer, you have a background in human rights, yet your job, at least part of it, is to meet with people who've done some pretty awful things, right? Like recruit child soldiers and convince them the error of their ways. Like, how do you approach a conversation like that? Um, you know, you know, you're going to sit across the room from someone who's done some some very terrible things and you're not, you know, you don't have the ability to arrest the person. All you can do is try to convince them to um, reform. I mean, how how do you process that that like conversation, that situation? 
I think that first of all, you have to, uh, the most important for you, the objective, what you would like to achieve is to end the violation. That's the first priority when you go and you engage with parties that are in conflict and that are committing violation is to uh, convince them to stop the violation. So that must be your first priority and the, 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 the objective that guide what you are doing. Then you have to know what, with whom you are, we are speaking and what could be uh, uh, interesting and attractive for them to start with to build a confidence and to ensure that um, they will listen to you and you will get the result. Because uh, I, uh, I remember when I started working with the UN, the first question that was asked to me in the interview if you accept to, to this job, you will work with people that have blood on their hands. And I said, it's because they have blood on their hands that we have to talk to them to stop uh, them committing uh, violation. And if we have the opportunity and the space to ask for accountability, we will also do because it doesn't mean that we, because we are asking them to release children that we forget that to commit violation. And accountability is part of our our uh, uh, claim of our uh, objective of our uh, 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 messages to to everyone, and that's why we also re gather information to make sure that the documentation will serve one day when we have space for justice. Also, because there is no peace without justice, and when children suffer and uh, in the hands of the adults, they will not forget, and they will be the adult one day. So all this in our mind, but you know, the mediator is someone who have to, first of all, to build the trust, open the space, and then the more he has space or she has space, they can ask for more, and I think that uh, in every conflict when I go, I, I do my best to meet with those who, if I reach them and convince them, I can minimize the suffering for children, and this is the most important for me. Uh, so, Ms. Zurugi, uh, we met uh, a couple years ago, I guess, uh, on stage at the 92Y for the Social Good Summit, um, and I was yeah. so intrigued uh, to learn about your work back then, and so I thought I'd reach out to you and uh, learn a bit more about you and, and who you are and, and where you come from, because I've been following your work for a long time, and I'm glad to share your work with the rest of the audience. But um, So you, I know, are Algerian. Um, were, yeah. you, were you born before the revolution? Yes, I was. You know, I was born, and when I was a child, I was during the war, the war of liberation. I was a child, so I I was a child uh, growing up in war. So I know when I when I go to area of conflict, and when I see the children, sometimes I think about myself because that's uh, I, I, at the independence. I have six years, so. So yes, I spent six years during a war, uh, and I know what's what's the meaning for children. So, what was your family situation? So, you were born uh, before the war broke out. What in like about the mid nineteen fifties, right? And and independence. Uh, uh, the war was already because I I was born in nineteen fifty six. So so uh, the war was started in nineteen fifty four. So I grew up during during the conflict when the conflict was very very uh, uh, intense, and uh, uh, I start my. Uh, 
my school life uh, the first uh, the first uh, year it was uh, 62 in the independence and were you born in algiers no i was born in a small city not far from tunisia uh, it's uh, called Sukaras. Uh, this is the new name the, the old name is tagas it's the city of saint augustin i consider myself a uh, uh, not, uh, a child of Saint Augustin. That's what we say in my country, for uh, my city. And what was your family uh, like? Uh, what was your parents doing at the time? My pa- my father is a is a uh, uh, how can I say uh, commerçant, uh, a businessman. A job. Uh, no, it's not kind of. You know, it's not like uh, it's job. Show, like, like someone with a, a gross, grocer shop. Oh, okay, grocer I had a grocery, shop. a grocery store. Yeah, he has a grocery. Owner. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Enough and of my the mother was not was yeah. huh? I'm sure enough of the audience speaks French. You can you can drop a little French every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's a, a grocer shop, and he. Uh, uh, my mother was not working at the time. Women stay at home, uh, but uh, that's I grew up in a family of six. Six Were they political at all? I mean, during the war. I mean, this my was father very was very time. much engaged. He he went. He was uh, yes. He was a he was a resistance. He was in prison. He was so. I grew up in a very politicized uh, and a political family. Yes, very uh, very strong and very heavy. And I learned a lot from my father and my mother. They were very much involved in the liberation war and after the independence. And so, so that was also something that influenced my my. Uh, my career and my life. So you're I about think. probably eight years old, right? At around independence. Um, do you have like a like a recollection of, of the moment? I remember everything. It's unbelievable. I remember every detail of of the day of the week, the, the whole week of the celebration. I remember uh, uh, also uh, the coup in 1965 when I wake up in the morning and see all the soldiers in the city. Uh, I, I I remember. It's unbelievable how a child have a have such a strong memory even before the independence one for example i was i was two years when my father was uh took the went was arrested i i remember exactly what happened this night so it's unbelievable how a child uh, uh that's why maybe i'm very much interested in this job because it is something that i want to my life what myself. So your your father was arrested in front of you yes what happened twice what happened? Uh, you are scared. You know that you don't know what will happen. You're, you're, you know that your father uh, was arrested. You know that your father is not is not is not a criminal. You know because you you integrate everything in the family, so you know that you you are not ashamed. You know that a child is ashamed if if the parent is arrested for something wrong. But this is you integrate that it is it is something that you accept. I think you you might, the maturity is very strong when when you have a, such a political discussion in the family you are you are involved um it's i guess throughout the conflict though, throughout the war you were able to complete your schooling uh, is that is that right uh, i started after the independence i finished my schooling normally i get my my bachelor went to algiers because at the time you know we have very uh, limited uh, uh, access so i went already at the age of 16 i left my family to go to anaba 
to study in the college and from the college I went to Algiers. So I I finished my study in the 80s and I decided to be a judge and I worked in my country for a long time as a judge. So, Starting I mean, how, by juvenile judge. So, I mean, how how was it that you decided to pursue the law? Um, and how much choice did you have in, in deciding what you wanted to uh, to study? Like, what compelled you I, to want to be a judge? I, I, I never thought that I would be a judge, but I knew that I would... Uh, for Law was, for me, uh, a choice that I decided from the beginning. I, I fin- when I finished my... When I decided to go to Ecole Nationale d'Administration in Algiers, we have... Oppert- I, at the time, I was not sure. So I decided to go to, to this school because you have time to decide on the specialty later on. So I studied... First, uh, with the maybe perspective to be either a lawyer or uh, a diplomat or someone working on finance because we have the opportunity to do this. And then I decided to go for the law because at the time it was maybe the most... Um, uh, the, I think behind I was always very concerned by the justice. I hate the injustice, uh, but at the same time, I think as a woman, I thought that uh, going in a, in an in a, in a bureaucracy like minister like this will not you will not have the space. But as a judge, you will have more opportunity to be uh, yourself and to 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 influence and to play a role. That's maybe the reason, uh, the major reason that pushed me for. Uh, for this position. Also, as a judge, I knew that I will not return to my city and be uh, uh, a woman in a family. And maybe uh, so I was also seeking my independence because as a judge, you cannot be affected. In, you cannot work in the same city from where you were coming at the time. You have to go to another region. So it was also my independence that I was seeking. So that's so many reasons behind, maybe. And, and it seems um, that Algeria in the 1980s was, was relatively stable and experienced some prosperity in this time, right? I mean, what was the, the general political situation at, at the time? And, um, you know, you're, yeah, you're working for the government, you, right? Yeah, I think in the, nine, in, in the 70s, in the 90s, people were still in the mood of uh, uh, not, uh, a lot of hope, Think you you know the improvement of the economic situation, the fact that people are going to school. You have a new uh, intelligentsia on in the country. You feel like uh, you finish. You are going to finish building your country. The complexity come later. Uh, so it was a lot of uh, strong uh, uh, belief that uh, we are in the right direction. We are building our country. So it was stable. We don't we don't have problems even of course we don't have at the time uh, a kind of liberal system uh, uh, opposition was inside the one one uh, party not not uh, like uh, opposition and government and election etc was we started the election in 1779 so it was it was something something new i was young yet and i was like uh, um, still in in a very strong uh, belief that we are going in the right direction. Unfortunately, in the 80s, the situation 
uh, changed dramatically with first of all the drop of the oil price as uh, i think you remember in the in the 80s the the the, the war like like this one today uh to and the the, the civil um, the price of the oil come to 8 dollars from 40 and Algeria is an oil country so the crisis started and then we have also uh, the the Islamic uh, movement that uh, start uh, in in and then the the election and 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 uh, and uh, the the conflict and so it was it was difficult time in the 90s i thought that my country will never will never mm, come out of all this but so but but at least in the 80s things were, were at least in the early 80s things were going well in the late 70s so and and as yeah, a, a juvenile judge what kind of cases were you were you um no i when over? i started i started in 80 i started okay. in 80 Aside in 80, uh, a juvenile judge at the time was really, it was, the, you know, the society was not very, we don't have, for example, I worked from, uh, from 80 to, to, to 86 in this tribunal in, in, in small city between Algiers and Blida. And I have one, we have in the whole six years, one crime, I mean, killing, one person killed. So the criminality was very low. It was more uh, uh, the children that have problem at the time as a judge. I was dealing more with children that have problem in the family, uh, that uh, more, um, children that are uh, need more integration and, uh, and work on their rehabilitation than big case of uh, criminality so till it, i start seeing more the, the the big case uh when we have the the crisis in the 90s so can you uh, i guess talk about the crisis in the 90s and uh, from how you experienced it what was your first um inclination that uh, a major crisis was about to befall algeria <laughs> I mean, it started. Uh, it started first in, uh, in I think, uh, in '88, in October '85, fifth October in '88, when we have the the, uh, the demonstration, uh, and then we have the crackdown on the demonstration, and then we have uh, uh, the in in 2019. In '89, we have the the uh, response from uh, from uh, the government to address the the grievances, to change the constitution, open the uh, the party to to opposition, start the election, and then uh, when we saw that uh, the election bring the 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 cease, uh, first of all to the to the cities to run the cities and then uh, to the parliament and as a woman as a, someone from uh, believing in the in the uh, freedom and the rights of women so it was for me the first scare that I'm seeing that we are returning to more conservative regime I was not expecting that we are going to to a, to something that almost is a civil war but uh, uh, I was more thinking about uh, about uh, as a woman uh, we close the space because I was seeing that people start uh, questioning for example uh, the fact that we were many 
they were saying that we were many women in the appellate court, uh, in appellate court in Glida. So this kind of issue that I never, never raised before me that because I am a woman, I, I don't have the right to be a judge was start emerging. So that was the first, the first challenge that I faced. And then after when the crisis started as a judge is also uh, uh, the challenge that you have that you, you to make sure that as a judge you continue to uh, uh, play your, your role, you continue to be independent in a very big crisis with a violation happening, with killing, with the maiming, with arbitrary detention, with uh, uh, a lot of problems, disappearances. You remember at the time as a judge it was very challenging context for me and i i did you ever feel under like personal uh your that your personal safety was under threat um uh, i i of course i was working in Blida, and Blida was was uh, was under you know, it was the most dangerous place at the time because you have the, the 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 armed groups in this region but i think that what i felt at the time that i have no other option uh, uh, but to uh, continue to uh, to do my my work, and I I I cannot say that I was feeling that I am under threat. I just decided to forget about it, and to continue to work. And I think that I've never been particularly targeted uh, uh, by uh, uh, um, threats specifically. I was working on difficult context, working uh, on a case of uh, 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 criminal case. I uh, I was also uh, living in a city, traveling to another, but I don't, I can, I, I, I would, I would lie if I say that I was feeling that I was, everyone was under threat. Uh, but I, I, I just decided that I have, I have no other option but to continue to do my job. What was for me uh, the most important is to make sure that everyone that come in my court feel that if he's innocent, will uh, will not be will get free that's for me the most important is to continue to uphold uh, first of all the fair trial principle to ensure that those who are victim of violation of their right by other uh, state agencies or by uh, by um, terrorist group when they come to my office they feel that i am uh, 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 I apply the law and I, I, I apply the, the principle that I I swear to follow when I started this job as a judge. It was not easy, but I for this I am proud that I have never uh, felt that I I, uh, I failed in doing that you know, until funny. I left. There's all a lot of talk in in sort of the world of of um, the UN about building justice systems and justice systems that are strong and durable, but yes. you sometimes forget that the constituent parts of a justice system are individuals, right? And and it really comes down to whether or not the individual will make the sort of decision that you made about trying to remain impartial even in the midst of a civil war. Yeah, I think that there is part of the individual, but it's important that the individual, we are, people are not heroes. People must be in a system that protect them, that allow them to, to do their work. There is an environment that is necessary. Uh, in every situation, uh, where you see, for example, the, the, uh, the situation of conflict or situation of insurgency, you must ensure that justice, 
uh, uh, is the system that will remind everyone of of what what need to be done and what 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 you must not do. But at the same at the same time, individual have an influence. The leadership of every individual in every position is important. That's why it is important for uh, for us to choose the right people at the right place because an individual can make a difference. But of course, the 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 institution is the one who really ensure the stability and uh, the 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 uh, the sustainability of the decision that uh, uh, a state uh, a society. Uh, uh, individuals can take. We cannot pretend that with uh, with one person we can solve the problem. But it is important that ev- that every one of us make sure that what what is our responsibility we will hold it. That's that's my my advice. So when was it you started working for the UN? No, my first job. I, in fact, I started with the UN pro bono as special special rapporteur. Uh, first of all, as a, a human rights expert in 2000 in the subcommission for promotion and protection of human rights in Geneva. Uh, 2000-2004. At the same time, I was also appointed by. Uh, 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 appointed to to be member of the working group on children armed uh, on uh, arbitrary uh, the working group on arbitrary detention from 2001 to t- till 2008, uh, while I was at the same time teacher and judge in Algeria. Uh, in uh, 2008, I was appointed a special, rapport- special uh, deputy special representative of the Secretary General uh, in Mon- Monuk at the beginning, then Monosco in DR Congo, and I, I spent four years working on, of course, uh, children armed conflict, but also sexual violence, women rights, uh, human rights, and rule of law. That was my portfolio. Police, justice—that uh, uh, was my portfolio in in the Congo. And presumably, and then, like a lot of the the lessons that you drew from your experience as a judge in Algeria, you applied to the situation in in the DR Congo. I would imagine. It was very different. I mean, in DR Congo, the big challenge that we have is that you don't have the justice. Uh, system was very limited to the to the small few cities, and the area where you have the conflict ongoing, the violation ongoing, you don't have at all the state present state the um, the core function of a state present in this in this area. You have uh, you don't have justice system uh, uh, functioning. You don't have even if you they have a judge, you don't have prison. Uh, uh, so that was the big challenge first is to uh, address to make sure that you have the state uh, representative ju- military police present uh, gendarmerie in the area to protect the population because this is the first priority and then the second is to ensure if there is violation committed either by armed groups or by armed forces is that you have a system that respond and that respond properly then we started working on how we build a penal chain, how we build the mobile court and deploy them in area where you don't have justice. So it was very different Algeria. The justice was there is to ensure that it functioned properly. Um, so when you were appointed as the special representative for children in armed conflict, what did you see as your very first priority and your very first um, 
big sort of challenge to, to overcome and address? I think that the most important uh, was that when I arrived in 2012 in, in this office is, and tried to see what my predecessor uh, realize and how I can uh, ensure an added value and follow up on their work, I just, uh, my assessment at the time was that they achieve a lot in building uh, uh, a legal framework, in uh, uh, putting in place the tools, the mechanisms, uh, also in, in implementing in certain area. And uh, my role was more complicated because everything is there, then you have to deliver and uh, you have to ensure that uh, 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 you, you will continue uh, to, to uh, improve the, the legal framework that is in place and see how you can add to what was already achieved. I arrived also in a context where the mandate was very much contested. I remember my first uh, appearance before the Security Council was that uh, six members of the security council were about to vote against a resolution uh, that was neither uh, 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 threatening nor bringing something new. So I tried also to build, rebuild the trust within the Security Council to ensure that we, do, we don't send the wrong message to the victim or to the perpetrator about what is happening to children. So I'm very uh, uh, humble, but at the same time very proud because we have now again a strong consensus in the Security Council on the issue of children armed conflict. We have also a consensus among member states that are concerned, even if they sometimes are not happy with us, but nobody is telling us it's not your business. We can uh, abuse our children or we can recruit them. So this is uh, um, helpful because you will work on issue without having the political sensitivity of people saying we don't want you to deal with this, you are infringing our sovereignty. So this is not um, the kind of, of uh, um, response what, that we have from government. They are more recognizing that they have a problem. Sometimes they have lack of capacity. Sometimes the lack of will exists, but it is not it is not uh, as strong as to say uh, we can we don't want you to interfere in what we are doing because I think there is a consensus that uh, we don't have the right to do the wrong thing to the children. Uh, and and you also came uh, to your office in the midst of the or the beginning of the Syrian civil war. And I have to imagine that probably no conflict has uh, consumed as much sort of energy in the UN system as the Syrian civil war. How do you, I guess, going to go about trying to um, implement your mandate in the midst of such like a complicated situation with so many various competing parties? Uh, how do you do what you can do uh, to protect children in this context? When I arrived to Syria, it was the, 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 when I arrived to this mandate, the report, uh, the first report on Syria, I presented the first report was prepared by my predecessor and presented it to the Security Council. Uh, maybe it was one, uh, one of the country that we have a big tension with when we started, when I started my, my mandate. Uh, it was, I think, for me, the most important was to establish the tools that the Security Council 
Council gave us the monitoring and reporting mechanism uh, the, uh, uh, have uh, an inter, um, interministerial committee to engage with the government. So I traveled to Syria. It was my first visit to the field. I went to Syria. That was my first visit after my appointment to ensure that we start working and that the team on the ground in Syria. Uh, Were you able to go to places just beyond Damascus? Were you able to go out a, a little bit? I went to uh, to Hamas. I went to uh, to Damascus to reach Damascus. Yes, I went. It's it's just the where the security don't allow. I engaged at the time already. In it was in October. I engaged, November. I engaged with the government and with the opposition. At the time, we have the uh, the the office of. Uh, uh, the special envoy in Damascus, uh, also uh, the team uh, on the ground. We started uh, a process to to engage with the government and to gather information. Then I returned in in July 2013, uh, uh, not only to to Damascus but also to all neighboring countries to also. Uh, engage with them to ensure that we also gather information from the the uh, the refugee population. I met with all the refugees in in uh, in Turkey, in Iraq, in uh, Lebanon, in Jordan. So and returned back to Syria. Engaged with the government. We continue to do so. We issued this uh, report in the Security Council. It took us. Uh, nine months to have the conclusion adopted by the working group of the Security Council because of the division between member states on this on this country on this uh, situation of conflict. Uh, but we have 23 situation of conflict. So we also deal with uh, with Nigeria. We deal with Mali, with the South Sudan, with Somalia, Sudan. Uh, Congo, uh, Central African Republic, but also Afghanistan and Myanmar and Colombia. So a lot of conflict that we follow Iraq and Yemen and, and Israel, Palestine, and all these are on our agenda, unfortunately. It's not easy. So we so try where, to dedicate the time to Syria, but also to other conflicts. Where uh, is your next trip, do you think? Uh, I think uh, we. I am just returning from Nigeria, so my next trip uh, will be uh, according to. We are working on several several uh, situations, so uh, I would like to travel to uh, to Afghanistan. I would like to travel to Myanmar, but uh, I cannot say that the next is this one. I have you know that a visit need to be prepared with the government concerned. We need to ensure that we will have. An added value to have people with with whom we can engage. So it's not just to go and meet with people and return. I think uh, we cannot afford to do that. We have so many things to do, but we are working on all the situation of conflict and where we we find the space to move forward to do something positive to help the children. That will be my next uh, my next trip. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Miss Zerugi for her time. Thank you to you, dear listener, for your time. And if you're listening at the end, chances are you are a very loyal listener. So again, thank you so much for that. If I can ask you a quick favor, uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave a review in iTunes. It really helps boost the visibility of the podcast. And if you're listening to this via our standalone app, please leave a review of the app in the App Store. Finally, please let me know who you want me to interview or subjects that you'd like me to cover. You can hit me up 
via globaldispatchespodcast.com. There's a little contact button. So again, thank you all, and we'll see you soon. Bye.